we have missed you so much this summer. And all summer long, we've seen outpourings of God, haven't we? I mean, it's been crazy. Probably uh, uh, 10 to 15,000 have come to Christ. You may be seated. And all summer, we've seen miracles. We've seen deaf ears open. Uh, Nate and I was in Monterey. We were in Monterey, California. And a little girl came up to Nate with her youth pastor and said, for three years, I've cut myself. But today, when your dad was speaking, my scars all disappeared on my arms. You need to get excited about that. Somebody's actual scars disappeared. You know what's crazy about that is the same thing happened in San Francisco. But honey, you've been with me. We've done it together. You've spoke. I've been traveling. And uh, just a different anointing than we've ever seen before. Favor and blessings. And, and tell them about what God did. Well, it's just been so amazing. I've shared uh, when I was here uh, about some of the things that have happened at the services. There was a young girl who came in. She had uh, hearing aids and everything, and she came into the service, and we were praying for healing, and God healed her, and she could hear at the end of the service, and the pastor verified that she was deaf before and that she could hear, and so it was just amazing. She threw away her hearing aids. Yeah, it was just amazing what God is doing, and just seeing so many young people just running into the presence presence of God being so hungry, so desperate to be in his presence and to see their lives changed and to take that back into their school. At one service, remember this, you were standing with me in the aisle, hundreds of students, but a little girl with cerebral palsy. I preached on the secret place and a little girl, you and I were standing together and this little girl, she couldn't control her body. She's shaking all over the place and then she gets to the door and stepped through and her body just stopped. And she just began to wail because she quit shaking. And God did a miracle there. Isn't that cool? And that's the kind of stuff we saw. But you know, when, when I saw that, I began to weep because I was thinking with all of her obstacles, with all that she has to face, getting to that door was difficult for her. Oh, she, but yeah. she was so desperate to get there. And so many times with us, when we have nothing in our way, we don't pursue him like that. And it was just, I mean, it just made me begin to weep and look at my own life and say, you know, in her desperation, it's painful for her to pursue him like that. But sometimes we're so comfortable and yet we don't even care. Well, we're so honored that you launched us back in May because we've seen it. We've seen the favor of God every single week from Arizona to Texas to California to Florida to everywhere to Alabama to all the places. But it's good to be home today, isn't it? We love you so much, and we are so proud. Aren't you excited about where Pastor Sean and Enid are taking the church? Isn't it exciting? Come here, honey. I called you last Monday morning from the airport. This last Monday, I was in Houston. At 5 o'clock last Monday morning, I had to catch a flight. I had to leave for the airport at 6.30. That's kind of late for me because I usually have to be at the airport at 5. And I'm sound asleep in a hotel room in Houston this last Monday morning. And I had said to you the day before, I don't know what I'm preaching at the summit next Sunday. And last Monday morning, God entered into my hotel room. I'm sound asleep. And all of a sudden, I heard him say, Pat, will you be an Obed-Edom? And I went, what? I woke up, and I could feel God leaning over my bed. I know that sounds weird. And I got up and began to weep before the Lord, got on the flight and began to study who Obed-Edom was. And I've got to preach about him today. Will you pray over this? Would you lift your hands in the air? I'm going to preach a message called the protector of his presence. Get ready. Go ahead, sweetheart. Lord, we just thank come you on, right now. Out. Lord, we pray right now for your presence to come into this house this morning. Lord, we come with hearts full of expectation of miracles that are going to take place, not only in our own lives, Lord, but our family's lives, our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives. Lord, today we are going to make a stand that we are going to take back and protect the presence of God in our homes in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. Give God one more praise across this house. Last Monday morning, I was laying in in a hotel room. It was early in the morning. I just spoke in Houston. I was about to go get on my flight. Didn't have to leave for the airport till 6.30 that morning, which was actually kind of late for me. And I'm laying there in bed. I'm sound asleep. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. And as if God was hovering over the bed. It was the coolest thing that had ever happened to me. It was one of those clear moments. And it was as if he was in the room. And all of a sudden, he said, Pat, Pat, will you be an Obed? An Obed-Edom. And I am sound asleep. 5 a.m. And I wake up. I said, what do you mean, Lord? 
He said, will you be a protector of the presence for me, son? And I got up out of that bed and began to weep. Got on the flight that morning, began to study who Obed-Edom was on my Bible program on my laptop. Would you open your Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel the 6th chapter. I, I want to preach a word to you for a few moments. And again, it is so good to be home. It's so good to see what God is doing. I, I, I want to preach though my heart. In May of 1997, in my prayer closet, God gave me a vision of us carrying the mercy seat back to the nations. Saw David dancing with it. That's why we named our ministry those many years ago, Mercy Seat Ministries. And so for him to bring me back around and for me to begin to study the Mercy Seat again, I want to preach on that for just a, for, for just a moment. And as God began to speak to me that morning, he said, Pat, will you be a protector of my presence? That day I began to study this fellow that had a three-month encounter with God that led to a lifetime of service. Three months the presence of God settled in his house. Look what it says over in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to go up verse 11 and then we'll come back to the rest. It says this. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Oh, let me tell you something, Summit. There is a clarion call going out across this nation right now. It is a call for people to answer the front door of their homes and let the presence of God back in. It's a call for a depth. It's a call for a fire. It's, I'm not talking about wishy-washy, up-and-down Christianity. I'm talking about when you come to the threshing floor, the place that divides the wheat and the chaff, when you come to that place where God is separating, will you be the one that answers the door? If you're desperate for him, I want to hear you shout this morning. Give God a praise. The question is not whether or not God can move. The question is whether or not he can trust us with the movement. Will he allow his glory to come into this house? Will he allow his presence to take us? Look what it says in Acts chapter 7. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It says this. And all this time our ancestors had a tent, a shrine for true worship. Speaking of the Old Testament, made to the exact specifications God provided Moses. Speaking of the Ark of the Covenant, speaking of the outer court, the inner court, the Holy of Holies. It's that place. But it goes on to say, remember, this is Acts, so it's New Testament. They had it with them as they followed Joshua, speaking of the Ark. When God cleared the land of the pagans and still had it right down to the time of David, David asked God for a permanent place to worship. But Solomon built it. Yet that doesn't mean that the most, whole God, the most high God lives in a building made of carpenters and uh, masons. The prophet Isaiah put it well when he wrote, heaven is my throne. I rest my feet on earth. So what kind of house will you build for me, says God? Where can I get away and relax? It's already built. And I built it. Let's pray together. Father, it's so good to see what is happening right here. A vision that launched almost four years ago. Lord, of lives that are being changed. Families that are being transformed. Lord, I pray for the next few minutes for your grace to settle on this room. I pray for a blanket of your love and your spirit. A holy crying out. Almost almost a calling together of, of the sackcloth and ashes. A weeping and crying. And God, I thank you for the supernatural. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach for a few minutes about it. A thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, a lot of people wonder whatever happened to it. And I know we've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, and, and we kind of think, well, maybe the Nazis have it. Or, and, and, and we're going, wonder what happened to that thing. But, but probably most likely what took place was when Solomon built the temple. And then it would later be sacked. The temple would be overrun. He had built an elaborate mechanism that lowered the Ark of the Covenant. Many believe today where there's actually a the Temple of Solomon, there's actually a, a mosque there today. It's the Dome of the Rock. And many believe that it's hidden there and they just don't know it. How many of you know if they ever find it, you better get ready? Because it would be rebuilding of the temple. It means Jesus is coming back. But what I want you to understand, in the Old Testament, God had the Ark of the Covenant as his physical earthly presence. He dwelled upon it. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 41. Now arise, O Lord, come to your resting place. You and the Ark of your might, may your priest praise. Now follow me, because the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Testimony, the mercy seat, the atonement seat, 
is mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. Well, but, but Pastor, Pastor, Pastor we're, we're a New Testament church. What are you? Why in the world are you preaching about the ark? Because I think it's time for us to take a look at what happened then and maybe we can take care of his presence now. He spoke it to me. I'm laying in a hotel room and it was as if he said, I mean, the alarm clock at, and I set like four alarms. My phone, the hotel, the, I mean, I've got alarm clocks going off everywhere. Nothing happened. I'm laying there. I'm sound asleep. And it was as if he was standing in the room and he said, son, where's the Obed-Edoms of today? Where's the people to say, put the presents in my house, God? I was driving down the road a few moments ago on the way here. And I saw a man playing out in the yard with his kids and, and, Two little children, they're running around in the yard, and I'm going, well, isn't that awesome? But what if they what if they got to see Daddy worshiping God this morning? Look what it goes on to say. Now rise, O God, O Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to David, your servant. That is the prayer of King Solomon, who carried on the legacy of his father because David had a desire to have the presence. Let's look at the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. I want to just give you a brief, really quick history. And look what it says in Exodus 25, verse 10 through 16. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days, and God told him to build the temple and be the ark of the covenant and it says right there there above the cover between the two cherubim there that are over the ark the testimony i will meet you and give you all of my commands that's what it says he says i'll come i'll hang out with you there there was two angels that sat upon the ark of the covenant on the atonement seat And God says, if you'll come, I will be in there. I'm reminded of what it says in Leviticus chapter 3. It also says it in Leviticus chapter 4. It says the priest would go every year into the Holy of Holies. He would take goat's blood and he would take the blood of the goat and he would sprinkle it upon the altars and God would come and cover their sin. Are you still with me? Look what it says in Numbers chapter 7. Verse 89. When Moses entered the tent tent of meeting to speak with the Lord... He heard the voice of speaking to him from between the two cherubims above the atonement cover on the Ark of Testimony. And he spoke with him. Leviticus 16 says God would appear. Leviticus 16, 14 speaks of the atonement cover. Now let's go to the New Testament real quick. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. Because I've got to lay the groundwork for this thing. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. A tabernacle was set up in in. Its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold, gold-covered gold ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's rod that had, had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail. I love the writer of Hebrews. In fact, that word atonement cover is actually propitiation or the mercy seat. So everywhere Israel went, they would take the ark wrapped in animal skin and covered with a blue cloth. Everywhere they went into battle, they would win battles because it represented the presence of God was with them. They would go to step into the Jordan and the water would split right down the middle because wherever God goes, he causes a dividing to play take place he separates the wheat from the chaff oh see i'm going somewhere so as i began to study this and began to study the history of it we know the ark of the covenant was the forerunner it was the preparing of the way in canaan once they came out of the wilderness uh once they settled in canaan it was taken and it was put in the tabernacle of gilgal and shiloh for three to four hundred years until the time of eli We know that Samuel every morning would sleep next to the ark of God. Proving that he would eventually become the high priest. We know that it was later captured by the Philistines. Not once, but twice in 2 Samuel chapter 4. We know that uh, one time they captured it and, and their false idol Dagon. The next morning they set it in his tabernacle. And Dagon had fallen down. His hands and feet had broken off of him as he laid before the ark of God. How many of you know every idol's got a bow to the king of kings? Are you getting this so far? They captured it another time. And the Bible says they got boils, they got sores, and rats ran all over the place. So 
finally they realize, wait a minute, we don't want the ark of God. But now watch, because it gets pretty powerful. And then it was taken to the house of Abinadab, who was Abinadab. His name means the father is generous. We know that, that it would go down in Kirtath. And we know that it would stay there for 20 years until finally Saul's army would get it. But I love what it says in God's word, and it says a lot about Saul. First Chronicles 13, let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. So Saul went and got it, but he didn't really want it. He never asked it anything. Until finally, a young guy named David becomes king. A guy that knew how to worship, a guy that knew how to praise, a guy that knew what it meant to go from nothing to being something, a guy that knew understood that without the presence of God, we can't go any farther. And that brings us up to our scripture of Second Samuel chapter 6. Look at verse 2. It says this, Together with the soldiers, David headed for Bala to recover the chest of God, which was called by the name of name God of the angel armies, who was enthroned over the pair of angels on the chest. Now look what happens, because then things start to fall all apart. David is so desperate to get the presence of God, he doesn't study Leviticus. He doesn't understand that God had created rules for his presence. In fact, the Bible says he goes and gets the ark and he puts it on an oxen cart. Where were the priests at? The Bible never said to put it on something man-made. Bible tells us on his way back to Israel, they come to a rough patch of ground, a threshing floor. I looked up the term threshing floor last night. It was late. And I'm reminded of First Chronicles 21, verse 8. David would build the temple of God and Solomon would upon a threshing floor. What is the threshing floor? It is the place in the middle of the road where they would take and after they gathered all the wheat, they would separate the chaff. Follow me for a second because the Bible says they get to a threshing floor and the oxen stumbles and the ark of God begins to slide. And a fellow by the name of Uzzah, which means doing it in man's own strength. By the way, he was the son of Abinadab. A lot of people have always, for years, including me, have talked about Uzzah like this guy who didn't respect the ark. I think he did. I think he had grown up seeing the presence of God in his father's house. And then he sees this king come and get it and put it on some cart. And it fires him up. And finally, he's watching it with a holy reverence, and he sees it start to slide at the threshing floor, the place of the separating of the wheat and the chaff. And he reaches out to grab it, and he's killed instantly. It's the preacher's kid that grew up in the presence of God. And then he is later on, he goes to places where they don't protect the presence of God anymore. And it's just kind of church as usual. And they don't go after the deep things of God. And the preacher's kid gets in there and says, wait a minute. This isn't the way I saw it when I was growing up. Wait a minute. It was supposed to be deeper than this. Wait a minute. You know what? If that's what it is, I'm walking away. And he dies. Oh, did you get that? I'm going to turn this into a book. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took, remember Uzzah was the son of Abinadab, the guy who had kept it for 20 years. Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day it's called Perez Uzzah, meaning the Lord shall break forth upon man doing in his own strength. David was afraid of that place. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of, help me, Obed-Edom, the character of our place. The fella, I used to want to meet just Simon, of course, Jesus, when I get to heaven, because I don't want to leave him out. But I, I used to want to meet Simon Peter. I mean, I'm like, I, I got to meet Simon Peter because he's like me. He messes up. He sticks his foot in his mouth. But there's one fella I want to meet above all them, except for Jesus. Obed-Edom. I want to meet this guy when I get to heaven. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his in 
entire household. Are you still with me so far? I got to get a hold of this. So I want you to follow me. In fact, it's mentioned again in First Chronicles 13, 13, 13, which is the writings of the kings. I want to meet this guy. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Write this down, number one. The knock of destiny. Bible says the oxen stumbled. Uzzah reaches out to grab it. Uzzah's laying there dead. And all of a sudden, David says, I don't want it anymore. And the Bible says, he goes to a man named Obed's house. Can you imagine Obed? You seriously, king, want me to take the presence of God? The Bible even says he would build a house to it. Here's this nobody named Obed, and the king is suddenly knocking on his front door saying, You take the ark of God. David is embarrassed. He's angry. He's the king. He thought what he was doing was right. But he says, Obed... You keep it. The ark of God, the presence of God cost me too much. And David would leave. Go and sit on his throne. Obed, in the Hebrew, you know what his name means? The servant who honors God in the right way. Edom means red face. So he was the servant that made people blush. I'm loving some of that right there. Have you served to the point that everybody around you just starts blushing? He would cause the king to blush. Here's a man who honors God in such a way that everybody blushes around him. He had a love affair with the presence of God and it started with a knock on the door. Can you imagine? In fact, the Bible says he even built a house for the presence. Here's Obed-Edom. Now, folks, I don't keep, I don't whisper very well. I'll lean over to tell Karen something and she'll go, hey, Pat, everyone just heard that. We'll be out on the track running in the morning time and, and, and I'll say something to her and she says, hey, see that guy way over there on the other side of the track? He heard what you just said. It's kind of like those people when you get on the plane that don't know how to whisper. They answer their phone. You're sitting there waiting to take off. And all of a sudden, hey, what you doing? And we're all sitting around them. Like they've never done that. Be- I mean, they've, and we're all, and I, I want to look at them and go, man, that was an awesome conversation. Here's Obed. If I'd have been Obed, I'd have been running around everybody. I'd have called all my family. Guess what? (laughs) The glory's at my house. The king came to see me. Maybe that's why God had never let anybody knock on the door that's a king at my house. Because I would just tell everybody. I'd put it on Facebook. Got the glory today. Presents moved in. Yeah. Do not stop by. Here's Obed. He didn't say anything. Okay. I'll take it. In fact, I'll even have my boys build a house to him. Why? Because it became personal. He was a Gittite, which means men of the wine press. He was a Gittite. He was of the Levitical household, but he was also from the Philistines. He was from Gath. So in other words, his family was in the ministry, but they were enemies of God. Every morning he would light a candle. One in the morning, one at night. You know what that represents? Flesh and spirit. Fruitfulness and increase. He would light the candles. It was literally a sign. The two candles always represent, all the way back to Genesis, flesh meeting spirit. I'll never forget, at the beginning of the summer, we took a week or so of vacation, a week and a half, and I had a nightmare that our family was under attack. Karen had the same nightmare. We're out early in the morning and we're running around a track in Panama City and I said, I got to tell you about my dream last night. She said, I got to tell you about mine. We took each other's hands and we began to pray in the Spirit. As we're running around that track, just praying in the Spirit. And God began to do a work in our home because we realized we had gotten a little slack in our house. 
You still with me? Bible even says that his children, his family were blessed. In fact, follow me because this is his wife and eight daughters-in-law bore children twice every month. In fact, it is believed by the oral tradition that each one had sex toplets or tuplets or however you say that. Can you imagine how many kids are running around? Octomom thinks she's got something on them. But because the glory of God was in their house every month, two more babies or 12 more babies were born. Talking about having diaper issues. I'd just be like, y'all just run naked and drop. Wherever you need to drop, let it go. Sorry, that's not actually in this sermon. Matthew Henry talks about, comments, comments about that Uzzah dies because of his familiarity with the ark of God. But old Bed Edom was blessed because he treated the ark of God as a guest in his house. When's the last time God felt like a guest in your home? It's last night, me sitting in a chair talking to my little girl about something she said and walking her through what Jesus had said that. So he has it for three months. Three months, he has the glory of God sitting in his house. And then, write this down, you're not leaving without me. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Now what are you talking about? That's the type of reputation I want in my house. I want people to be able to stop by and say, the presence of God is at Pat's house. Wouldn't you love to have that kind of reputation on your street? Oh, you're sick? Oh, your kids are weary? Hey, just go knock on that door down there. Because there's somebody down there that will lay hands on you and you'll be healed. So the Bible, now now follow me, because this is the coolest part. Obed-Edom could have been happy with the last move of God. He could have stopped. Remember what happened? Listen, folks, a couple weeks ago, or, or last week, actually, I was in San Francisco, the very church where Smith Wigglesworth had pulled a man out of the out of the casket and thrown him against the wall after being dead for three days, and he came back to life. And yet, they were so desperate that the place was packed every night with people getting free, homosexuals getting free, people getting healed, people getting saved, because they haven't settled on what happened in the 1920s. They understand God still moves today. Are you still with me so far? Give him a praise offering. Now, I love what happens here. Look what it goes on to say. He could have stayed where God used to move. But when the king came and knocked on his door, he said, kids, pack up. Family, we're going with the presence this time. So number two, you're not leaving without me. What do you mean? Look at First Chronicles 15, verse 11. Then David summoned Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, and Uriel, and Isaiah, and Joel, and Shemaiah, and Eliel, and, Abit, and Amen, and Nadab, the Levites. And he said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. It was, be, it was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord killed Uzzah. David finally realized what had happened. In other words, David was saying, if I had just put the presence of God and he gave, remember the scripture says, and he gave some to be pastors. Oh, but I know what's best for my church. And he gave some to be pastors. Oh, but you know what? If they just did it this way and he gave some to be pastors. The Bible says there is a spiritual authority. But launch what it says right here. David says, okay, we're going back. They went and got the ark of God. He said, this time, Levites, put it on your shoulders. Get it off the cart. Get it off the man-made thing. Now watch Obed-Edom. Here's Obed. That brother, I mean, he should have been happy. I would have opened a museum. I'd have sold. It's filled of dreams. I mean, y'all, that's where it sat. It sat right there. Yep, yep, seriously. Reach out. You want to touch the cloth? Touch it. He used to sit right there. But Obed, you know what he did? He packed up. He says, we're out of here. And all of a sudden, look what it says in 1 Chronicles. Chapter 15, verse 16. David told the leaders of Levites to appoint their brothers as singers ah, to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. So the Levites appointed Heman, son of Joel, from his brothers Asaph. Remember Asaph? Wrote a lot of the psalms. Son of Berechiah. 
And from their brothers and the Merorites, Ethan, son of Cushiah, and with them their brothers next in rank, Zechariah, Jezeel, Shemarimoth, Jehiel. And I'm probably saying all these really wrong. I'm just glad that my name's Pat. Now watch. Uni, Eliab, Benaiah, Messiah, Matithia, Eliphalaoth, McNeah. Oh, 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 stop. Obed-Edom. He said, hey, Obed, join the worshipers. If you're willing to put the ark of God in your house, I'm going to put you on the worship team. Can you see Obed? He didn't try, but it's, hey, it's my ark. Me and God, we've been talking every morning. He sits above it. He said, no. I'll join the worship team. And then number three, and I'm almost done. He stayed on after the celebration. Look what happens. They bring up the ark of God into the place. Look at First Chronicles 16. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition to give thanks and praise to God, the God of Israel. Asaph, there's Asaph, that great worship leader, was the chief. Zechariah second. Then Jael, Shemarith, Jehiel. And it goes all the way through their names. And then it gets to Eliab, uh, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom. And they were to play the, the lyres and the harps. Asaph was to sound cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of God. So he lets the presence of God in his house. He leaves with it and worships. Then suddenly he gets a job in the church. Suddenly he's a part of the worship team. All because he knew how to worship. Let my kids accuse me of being a worshiper. If they can say anything about me, let them just say dad knew how to worship. This summer, there's been times where I've been out jogging. And I, I, I'll catch myself because I have on my iPod and I've got worship playing. And, 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 and there's been times where I've been running around softball fields or wherever. And I'll see, I won't even realize kids are arriving for games like on Saturday mornings. And suddenly I'm running around the park going, I just pray it out loud in tongues. Y'all do that? I do that still. And praying in tongues. And all of a sudden, one day I looked over and there was an entire softball team going. I went, hey, let me be accused of being a worshiper. Then look what happens. Watch. He not only stayed down after the celebration, he took his place at the door. First Chronicles 15, verse 23. Berechiah, Elkanah were to be doorkeepers for the ark. Shabaniah, Josaphat, Nathanael, Messiah, Zechariah, Benai. Eleazar, the priest, were to blow trumpets before the ark of God. Obed, Edom, and Jehiah were also to be doorkeepers. So once he allowed the presence of God in his house, once he decided, I'm going to protect the presence of God, once he decided to follow the presence of God, suddenly became a worshiper in a temple. Then he started being trusted with keeping the enemy out. Oh, you're not getting this yet. You're not watching this yet. I'm going somewhere. You don't understand. He said, I'll be a doorkeeper. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalms 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the the tents of the wicked. There's a call going out for somebody to be a doorkeeper. In a nation where secular humanism has taken over, in a nation where dads are walking out of their families, I can tell you in Texas and Arizona, I held two different young men that came up to me weeping and wailing because their dads were pastors and one year before had turned their backs on their family and went and found new families. Two young men, two different states, preacher's kids, walk up and grab me and said, would you hold me? Because my dad don't hold me no more. I've been amazed as I've looked at Facebook at the idiot parents that are lining up to go watch Eclipse, the movie, and allow their kids to watch the worship of demons having sex. That is what vampire worship is. I've been amazed at parents are going, it's a pretty love story. It's awesome. Are you an idiot? I don't need to get an eclipse where my sun is blocked out because the sun is bright and shining on me. I don't need to go stand in line and watch the worship of demonic sexual vampires. Folks, it's the worship of dead, the dead with sex. 
And let their, yet they're lining up to see it. And us parents are going, oh, it's just a cool, cute teen movie. Are you serious? Tell that to the young man that walked up to me in Arizona that was dressed as a vampire that had fangs put inside of his, his jaw who came up weeping and said, how did this happen to me? Help me get free. Where's the doorkeepers? Obed-Edom gets to the palace. He sings on the worship team. Next thing you know, he becomes the gatekeeper and the doorkeeper. In fact, his family would become keepers of God's house. I'm about to close. Write this down, a guardian of the storehouse. And due to Obed's desire and love for the Lord and his faithfulness, God begins again to bless him and promote him. His resume is growing. Next thing you know, his family is over the treasury. He became a musician, a doorkeeper, and now a gatekeeper. Look what it says in First Chronicles 26. It speaks of those assigned to guard the gates of the storehouse, but it goes on. Look what it says about his sons. First Chronicles 26, verse 4. Obed-Edom also had sons. Shemaiah, the firstborn. You know what his name meant? Jehovah is heard. Jehozabad, the second son. Jehovah has endowed and blessed. Joah, the third, Jehovah is eternal. Sakar, the fourth, Jehovah is always fair and keeps his promises. Nathanael, the, the fifth, given from God. Emil, the sixth, the people of God. Issachar, his seventh son, he who brings forth the reward. And Peluthia, the eighth, God who is a rewarder of labor. For God had blessed Obed's house. What does that mean? Take all their names and put it together. So Obed-Edom, the servant who honored God the right way and caused others to blush, had sons. Their names meant Jehovah has heard and will bless. He's eternal, keeps his promises that are given from God. For the people of God, he brings forth the reward and rewards those who do his labor. Somebody give God a praise offering. That's his kids. And in First Chronicles 26, verse 6, it goes on to say, his son Shemaiah also had sons. Let me tell you about those boys. Who were leaders in their father's family because they were very capable men. This is the grandsons of Obed. The sons of Shemaiah. Othni. You know what his name meant? Jehovah is mighty. Raphael. Jehovah will cure any disease. Obed. Named one of his boys Obed. After his grandpa. The servant who honors God. And Elzabab. God has bestowed blessings. In other words, his relatives, and it goes on to say, all of them, 62 in all, became the keepers of the gate. You're not getting this. It started with one morning. The king wants to know if you'll house his presence. Okay. Yeah, I'm let me, my, my boys will build something to go over to just put it out there because it's, I don't want it in my house because it's too intense. I'm going to build a temple for it that's attached to my house. And next thing you know, he and his entire family were blessed beyond measure. Next thing you know, every child and grandchild bore to his family were in the ministry. Oh, you're not getting this yet. I wish you'd get a hold of this. It all started. It all started. They became the porter, the treasure of the temple. You know what that means? Matthew Henry said these, they represented strength and valor to oppose those who wrongly attempted to enter the sanctuary and they guarded the sacred treasures of God. Look at First Chronicles 26, 15 through 16. The lot of the south gate fell to Obed-Edom and the lot for the storehouse fell to his sons. Do you understand the power of blessings? Do you understand? It starts, look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28. It starts with just simply one morning dad saying, put it in my house. And then it would progress till you become a worshiper dad mom to suddenly you're allowed into the holy of holies in your secret place next thing you know god starts blessing your family to the point that you get to guard the treasury of the kingdom the lord will open the heavens the storehouse of his bounty to send rain down on your land in season and bless all the work of your hands you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none look what it says about the storehouse in malachi those of you that don't believe it's new testament look what god says he says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse god says 
The moment you begin to allow my presence into your home, the moment you begin to worship and chase after me, the moment you become a doorkeeper and start guarding what comes in, I'm going to put an anointing on you to bless the storehouse. I'll teach you how to tithe. I'll teach you how to be a giver. Oh, you ain't getting this yet. Obed! The king's at the door. He just wants to know if you'll allow his presence in. He just wants to know if you'll allow. Because see, the Ark of the Covenant, every year, all of a sudden, the priest would go. And they would sling the blood upon it at the corners, representing the blood was now covering the sins of Israel. Oh, you're not getting this yet. I wish you'd get a hold of this. Because you need to realize Obed-Edom, by his faith, his attitude, his, his actions created a legacy of faith that went down to every person in his family. What does your family do? We're all in the ministry. For me, it started in 1974 when my father got beside a toilet and said, Presence of God, come into this drug house here in Detroit. I'm done. Pat! Pat, be an Obed-Edom. What do you mean, God? Well, the guy that took the ark in? Pat, study it. There's more. And I'll close with this. Pastor Eric, would you join me? There's still a knock at the door. You know, Jesus was the seed of David. Look what it says in Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus, has sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David in the bright morning star. So we understand that, right? What does it say in Revelation chapter 3? Revelation chapter 3, here I am. Your house. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me. On my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. How many of you know Jesus became the mercy seat? What does it say in Romans chapter 3? I love that. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, God presented himself as a sacrifice of atonement mercy seat through the faith in his blood he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in jesus christ what do you mean i don't have to go to an ark anymore the ark later disappeared so god was stuck in a predicament who will sprinkle the blood on the altar who will go and put the blood before the people i know what i'll do i'll raise my son up I'll let my son's blood begin to pour out on the altar. You're not getting this just yet, church. Do you understand? Stand with me. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11. Look what it says. When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood and goats of calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption, the blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a heifer, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 19. Just building up, building it for you. Hebrews 10, bring that up for me. Look what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence 
to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> by a new and living way opened for, through us, for us through the curtain that was his body. He says, ripped my body open his body became the curtain and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water it's Ephesians 1 verse 7. It's Colossians 1 verse 14. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. What are you talking about, Pat? It all started with a knock at the door. It all started with one fella saying, all right, you going to take the presents? Fine, I'm going with it. They couldn't get rid of Obed. Why? He was addicted to the presence of God. Why? King, can, can I stay in the temple? Yeah, just be a worshiper. David's having a staff meeting. We got to get somebody to guard. Everybody's trying to get in to see it. You know, Obed, he kept the secret for three months in his house. That's our door, King. Boy, the treasury's under attack, King. Yeah, go get Obed. Because anything I put him in charge of, he does right. In fact, from this point on, he and his entire family will be the protectors of God's blessings. It all started. Oh, I hope you're getting this. I mean, I woke up in the middle of the morning early, 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 early. What's up? King, can the presence of God rest in your house? Yes, sir. Put it right over here. And Jesus is still standing at the door knocking, saying, will you let my presence rest in your house, the temple that I've built? Not by carpenters and masons, but by the very DNA that I put together in your mother's womb, I'm wanting to know, will you let my presence back in your home? Some of you this entire summer have walked through hell. You haven't felt him. And the whole time, you're hearing about everybody else's house being blessed. Man, I get tired of hearing about other people's houses being blessed. And God is saying, will you be an obey? Will you let my presence in? Will you let my glory in your house? If you want him, raise your hands and cry out now. reserved for those who cannot stand long but all over this house I'm expecting everybody in this house if you I need to warn you don't walk yet he's going to hit you because see while I was the lead pastor here at the summit there was a different anointing but at the moment that Karen and I stepped out to do what God 
forced us to do. A different anointing came back. And I meant to tell you that the altar is always open. But it's that evangelist no anointing now. It's different, I know. That's not arrogance. That's, that's walking very softly. It's almost to the place now where we really don't care what anybody's opinion is. You just change. We don't care. We want God. But not in an angry way, in a loving way. We want Him more than anything else. You know what I'm talking about, Steve? Stevie. That's what I hear every day. Took me from being normal. Pat! I made him. Yes, sir. You could put your presence here, Jesus. So as you step out to walk, and I'm expecting the entire house to walk. If you would, please. He's going to hit you. And you're going to have trouble walking. Maybe. But all over the house, come to the front now. Stand up here if you can. He's still sprinkling. See, you're not getting this. Jesus became the mercy seat. What is on the mercy seat? The blood. Where's my sin? Under the blood. So in other words, Jesus sits upon my sins. You can't see what's under you. You can't see my sin no more. You can't see it. It's gone. It's gone. Lift your hands and say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Say it boldly, in Jesus' name. All of my sin. All of my sin. Forgive me. Forgive me. Put it under your blood. Put it under your blood. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen. You just leaned up. Sat back down. You can't see your sin. You can't see it. He is the mercy seat. The blood flows over the mercy seat. He sits upon the mercy seat. His, your sin is under him now. It's under the blood. Now say this all over the house. In, in Jesus' name. I desire to be an Obed. Edom. Okay, listen, listen. All I'm going to do is this right here. This is what God's telling me to do. And, and I'm going to knock. And all I want you to do is say, come on in. And that means your home, your work, your body, every part of you. You're about to get transformed. It's going to grow. Okay, hold on, hold on. All over the house, say, God, I can't do it for you, so don't repeat after me. But at some point, you've got to say it out loud. Come in. I wish somebody would answer. The, I wish somebody would be an Obed. Put it in here. Put it in here, God. I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. Tell him, say, put it in me. Cry out to God all over this house. Come on, dads. Come on, mom. I'll be a worshiper. I'll be a doorkeeper. I'll protect the storehouse. I will be. Will you be a protector of the storehouse? Will you understand that tithing is New Testament? Will you be the one that keeps the gate? Hey, folks, I didn't make it up. I didn't plan on it. I just started studying the the timeline of a three-month encounter with God that led to being an entire lineage of a family. All 62. That means all of them, I believe, were all born at the exact same time. The presence of God was in their house. What does that represent? Legacy. If you'll let the presence of God back in your home, He'll bring legacy into your home. Oh, you are awesome. I want you to cry out to God. Go for it.
this house, all over this house, all over this house. We got, we got, I think, four steps. Got to open the door. Got to continually chase the presence. You got to be a worshiper in the house. So it's like four or five steps. You got to be a gatekeeper over the store. You got to be a doorkeeper after that. I'm not letting junk in my home anymore. Some of you need to go home and clean up your houses. God just spoke that to me. Some of you have movies and garbage in your home. And somehow you figured out in your mind you can separate your God life from your TV life. Get all the crap out of your house. Paul called it dung. Modern's crap. Why are you telling us this, Pastor? Because Karen will tell you at the beginning of the summer, God showed us some things that were in our home didn't he and he exposed some things and brought some they didn't well, hey we had to we had to focus on some things went through about three weeks of war didn't we every day and we tried to hurt our bodies tried to hurt everything but we took our family back somewhere in, along the line of that three and a half years of pastoring i got comfortable with his presence i quit treating him as a guest and I died like Uzzah. Oh, no, mate. No, Prince God, you're supposed to go this way. No, Prince God, you got, you're supposed to be doing like, you're going to die. Well, Prince of God, don't you go that direction. He's dead. You do it in man's own strength and you'll die. 
But when you begin to sing, put it in here, key. I'll light a candle, flesh meeting spirit. Blessings. Yeah, I'll even light a candle. I don't want God's presence to ever be in the dark in my life. Just don't want it to happen. Then a knock will come on the door again. Where you suddenly, those of you that have a desire to be in ministry, it starts with answering the door. So one last time, raise your hands and say today. Make my home a dwelling place for your glory.